God is good, and all the time. Well, I hope that you guys have had a wonderful week of staycation. Uh, if you're happy and you know it, say amen. amen. If you're tired and you know it, say oh me. All right. Well, listen, I, first, before we get going too deep, I just want to say a special thank you to Pastor Mike uh, for all the work that he has done. And we also want to thank uh, Brandon and all the team, Aaron up in the tech booth, and we just want to thank them. And all the volunteers, especially those of you who stayed the night, uh, every night, praise God for you. And uh, so we're going to end this whole week uh, with hopefully a time where we encounter God. How many of you would love to encounter God tonight? You know, here's something I want you to understand, that God was in this room today before you were. God's in this room right now. Sometimes you don't feel him, but he is. He is here in this room. He was here in our worship. Uh, he heard you singing. Uh, he's here right now in the preaching of the word. Uh, I'm not the one that uh, you are to applaud. The musicians are not the one that you're to adore. Jesus is the one that you're to worship. And so before we get going too deep, let's pray just one more time. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the fun we've had. We thank you that God up until this point, no one has been hurt. Too bad. Father, we pray that tonight your Holy Spirit would move. God, what I cannot say, would your Holy Spirit say? Lord, would you give us a supernatural ability over these next 30 minutes to pay attention. Father, would your Holy Spirit penetrate every dark crevice of our heart tonight? And would, Father, you do a work tonight of revival? Would you change us from the inside out? In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel chapter 6 is where we're going to be this evening. Daniel 6, we're going to begin in verse number 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's a few Bible in front of you, page 743, or you can turn on your Bible uh, or you can look at the screen, Daniel chapter 6 and verse number 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he had heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that this is that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established, establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, 
May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. How many of you have ever heard of Where's Waldo? Any of you have ever heard? Some of you are like, I've never heard of Where's Waldo. Well, maybe this will refresh your memory. Uh, Back in the day, back in my day, in West Philadelphia, where I was born and raised, on the playground where I spent most of my days, chilling out max and relaxing all cool, I was shooting some b-ball outside of school, and a couple of guys brought me a Where's Waldo book. Back in the day, in the 90s, uh, this was something that I did as a kid, and, and these were either posters or they were books, and you were to find a guy named Waldo. And the problem is, is that it's kind of, he's kind of hard to find because he, he's in there with all these things. Matter of fact, I just want to refresh your mind what Waldo looks like. So here's what Waldo looks like. Do you see who Waldo is right there? There you go, brother. All right, that was a joke. All right. So, anyway, the problem is is that you were to go through that entire comic and you were to kind of find where Waldo was. And so, the problem is is that Waldo would kind of be blended into the picture. And sometimes it would take minutes, sometimes it would take hours to find Waldo. Now, the reason I tell you this is because sometimes I think many people who call themselves Christians are like Waldo. They're just blending into the crowd, and they're very hard to find. I want you to understand something. Statistically, Generation Z, which is your generation, is the least Christian generation in American history. Recent surveys have shown that between 5 and 8% of your generation are born-again Christians. Think about that. If you are in a room of 100 people in your generation, only eight, five to eight of those people are born again Christians. So I want you to understand that if you are here tonight at staycation, you are in a minority. Now, there's a tendency when you're in a minority to want to blend in, to want to look like, talk like, think like, and believe like the rest of the larger majority around you because you don't want to stick out. You don't want to look like a weirdo. You don't want to feel feel like somebody strange. And it's very easy to want to blend in to the larger culture around you. But this whole series has been about standing against the tide. And if you want to be outstanding for Christ, then you're going to have to stand out. And we see that in the life of Daniel. Now, over these past few nights, we've been looking through chapters 1 through 6, and chapters 1 through 6 tell us about the past 70 years of Daniel's life since he was captured as a middle schooler. And if you read the storyline, it's pretty sad. I'm going to be pretty, uh, pretty honest with you tonight about what his life was. He was captured from his homeland as a kid. He didn't go to the school he wanted. He went to the University of Babylon. He didn't eat the food that he wanted to eat, so he actually had to become a vegetarian. He he couldn't get married. He couldn't have a family because when he was captured, he was castrated. You may not know that, but it's the truth. He had to then work as an adult for a series of ungodly, narcissistic, evil men in godless government that actually those men were responsible for murdering his family. 
And what you see in Daniel is that Daniel didn't get the life he wanted. But he's going to live the life that God gave him. You may not be living the life you've wanted, but you need to learn or you need to ask yourself, am I going to live the life that God gave me? And one of the things that you see in Daniel's life, if you find highlighted in chapter 6, verse 4, where the Bible says that Daniel was faithful. Faithfulness is a result of a life of faith. Daniel's faithfulness to God is going to come from his faith in God. And even as an old man, he never wavers. He keeps showing up. He keeps praying. He doesn't back down. And the strength of his resolve was that he was a man of prayer. Now, here's what I want you to think about. This is the big picture for this entire message. Here's what it is. The person who kneels before God can stand before anybody. The person who kneels before God can stand before anybody. Let's look at two things real quick. Number one, I want you to see Daniel's defiance. We saw in verse number 10 that when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, what was this document? Well, Daniel was rising up yet again in popularity. The king, King Darius, was going to set him in a very high position. And so all the other people in that uh, day that were in leadership didn't like Daniel because Daniel was a a goody-goody two-shoes, and they didn't want him to advance, and so they got King Darius to sign a document, a law that said that no one can pray to anyone but King Darius for 30 days. Darius signs this into law because who wouldn't want to be God for a month? When this law was signed, it was irrevocable. The law of the Medes and the Persians was final. The Medes and the Persians treated the law of the king as the literal word of God. And so when the document was signed, Daniel knew. Daniel's in his 70s. And so Daniel had options when the document was signed. Number one, his first option is he could have run, but he's old. Two, he could have compromised. He could have just not prayed to God for 30 days, asked God for forgiveness after the 30 days, but he didn't do that. He could have protested. He could have started a movement and gotten a hashtag, but he didn't do that. He could have just prayed privately. He could have killed himself. But what did he do? He did something different. He responded not out of fear, but he responded out of faith. In verse 11, it says that he went to his house. He opened the windows. He got on his knees. And what did he do? Say it with me. He prayed. He prayed publicly as a witness to the glory of God over the glory of the kings and kingdoms of this world. He didn't change who he was or what he had been doing, and he gave thanks to God, not to the king, and he did it at breakfast, he did it at lunch, and he did it at dinner. And the Bible says he did it as he had previously done. Here's a question I want to ask you, and you say, you know what, I'm a young person, and I don't really think about this, but I think that if you're a Christian, you should think about this. Would your current prayer life get you in trouble if you're Daniel? Would how you pray right now, would, if, if you were living in a, in a government that had a decree that says you can pray to no one but the President of the United States for the next 30 days, would you be put in prison because you broke the law? See, Daniel was an old man, and he had long obedience in the same direction, and he was too old to change in the midst of the crisis. He's too far along with God to turn back now, and so he obeys God and leaves the consequences to God. 
Now, I want you to understand that when Daniel does this in his defiance, he had absolutely no guarantee of what was going to happen next. All he did was just trust God with it. He knew that God would either deliver him through the lion's den or he would deliver him from the lion's den. Just as Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego said that we know that our God can deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're still going to trust him anyway. In your life, you've got to have a but-if-not clause of your faith. That I know that God is good and I know that God is able, but even if he doesn't do what I need him to do or what I think he needs to do in this moment, I'm still going to trust him anyway. John Patton was a young man in Scotland in the 19th century. That's 1800s for those of you that don't know what the 19th century is. And God put a burden on his heart as a young man for a group of islanders in the Pacific on an island called the New Hebrides. The island was inhabited by cannibals. Now, you don't know what a cannibal is. A cannibal is somebody who eats somebody. Cannibals had a history on that island. That those people had a history on that island that if you were a foreigner, you were dinner. Are you all following with me right now? You guys must really be tired. The problem is, is that no Westerner knew the language. So the question is, how is it that you're going to reach a people that eats people? Like, you don't do door-to-door, okay? You just don't. So Patton, who was a young pastor, resigned from his church, determined to go, and he told this congregation, I'm going to New Hebrides to go reach the cannibals. One of his professors said, you're leaving a work in which God has made you greatly useful only to throw it away to cannibals. One of the deacons in his church said, son, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by cannibals. John Patton said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. What he's saying is, Mr. Dixon, you're old and you're about to die. And there, when you die, you'll be eaten by worms. Patton says, if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it would make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. Patton went to New Hebrides, and his ministry was brutal but yet exhilarating. His wife actually died giving birth to their first child on that island. He had to, after her death, sleep on her grave for three to four nights to keep the cannibals from digging up her body and eating her. He was under constant siege day and night, always on the lookout for his life. And after months and years go by, a breakthrough came in. In his biography, he tells us uh, tells about one of the chiefs who came to Christ who asked him, when you first got here, Who was that army that guarded your hut each night? Well, who was that? It was God. When he arrived in 1858, there was not a single Christian on that island. But when he died 35 years later, he did not know a single islander who had not professed faith in Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand that John Patton went in faith over fear, but he had no guarantee that that's what was going to happen. 
Daniel had no guarantee. And Daniel's public disobedience is now being watched by his critics in verses 11 through 13. And they immediately, if you read the text, go and tattle on Darius, tattle on Daniel to Darius. It was as if the king signed the petition in the morning, Daniel prayed in the afternoon, and the charges were brought to him that evening. And so they go to the king to affirm the law. They were now the code enforcers. Haters are always going to hate. Verse 14, Darius knows he's gotten duped. He spends the rest of the afternoon trying to figure out how he can get Daniel out of this mess. Finally, Darius had to submit to the law of the Medes and the Persians. And so Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Now, I want you to understand, these were real lions. They were not sock puppets. These lions were often starved for days by executioners. Being eaten by a lion was the worst form of death in the Medes and Persian Empire. As Daniel goes into the lion's den... Darius says, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. In Darius's mind, he says, good luck, Daniel. Now, what would prepare an old man like this to just go into the lion's den? Could you imagine if they were to pick you up right now and put you in a lion's den? What would you do? How could Daniel go into this lion's den? Well, here's what you have to understand. Daniel's prayer life is what prepared him for the lion's den. You know, prayer is not so much about God changing your future as it is God preparing you for your future. Why is it that it was Daniel's custom for every day of his life, three times a day, to get on his knees and pray before God? Because prayer wasn't necessarily about God changing Daniel's situation. Prayer was about God changing Daniel. Often we pray for God to do things, to change our future. And when God doesn't do what we want, when we want, we get upset. But God does not fail us. God prepares us. Listen, you have to understand, you do not just declare to God your future. You trust God with your future. God doesn't need your prayer. We need prayer. And our only remedy in times of panic is prayer. And so the Bible says that the stone was laid at the mouth of the den. Most likely it was a cave on the side of the hill with an entrance into the side. And there was a stone then. Daniel was put into this den, put into this cave, and the stone was rolled over. And at the very top of this, of this uh, cave was a hill, and there was a hole, a grate, and people could look down into it. And the Bible says that the king spent all night trying to, in his worry, save Daniel. Sometimes, you know, have you ever been up all night worrying about something? And you think that your worrying is going to fix something? So the king spent a sleepless night worrying about Daniel. The politicians spent all night partying. And if you read the Bible, I think the only one who got sleep that night was actually Daniel. Well, not only do we see Daniel's defiance, but I want you to see Daniel's deliverance in verse 19. The Bible says that in the morning, I'm going to give you the quick version here. In the morning, King Darius runs down. He goes to the very top where the grape is to look down into the den of lions. He yells down to Daniel, Daniel, did your God deliver you last night? Now, if I was Daniel, I would make a dramatic pause. 
Like, I would let the king sit there for a minute. Wouldn't you? Daniel yells back, oh, king, I'm alive. Did you bring coffee? Daniel says, God sent his angel, and the lions didn't touch me. The lions got lockjaw. And instead of Daniel being dead, he just relaxed. The lions didn't do anything. And so Daniel's sitting there and being an old man that he was, he took one lion and he puffed him up really good. He took another lion and puffed him up really good. He laid down. He got his Old Testament out. And he read between the lions. You're welcome. It's okay if you say you're welcome. He says an angel came. There's a lot of speculation over who that angel was. Is it Jesus? One commentator said that the lion of the tribe of Judah showed up in the lion's den and all of the other lions got scared. Verses 23 through 25, the Bible tells us that Daniel comes out of the pit without a scratch. You know the story. He's vindicated. He's declared innocent. Some say that, some uh, liberal scholars say that, that, well, the only reason that Daniel survived is that the lions weren't hungry. Well, let's just read verse 24, and I'm actually going to read verse 24 to you. The Bible says, actually verse 23, Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. Verse 24. The king commanded those men who maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the lion's den, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. So if you were wondering if the lions were hungry, they were. Now, I know that many of you growing up, you didn't hear that part of the story on the flannel graph about after Daniel was delivered, all the bad guys were thrown into the pit with their families and eaten. Now, the question is this. What's the moral of the story? Well, the flannel graph moral of the story is this. This is what maybe some of you have heard in the story of Daniel. That if you're good, and if you trust God, and if, if you're cur- courageous, then God will deliver you in any situation without a scratch. That's what a lot of you have been told. Even some well-meaning preachers that you watch and read on or watch on Instagram or TikTok will tell you that if you just believe in Jesus and if you have faith, that God will deliver you from all your problems and you'll not have any problems anymore. The problem with that is it's not always true. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the Bible gives a list of those who live by faith. And it says that some by faith did conquer kingdoms, did stop the mouth of lions, did escape the edge of the sword. But then it also goes on and says, but some suffered mocking and flogging and chains and were stoned, sawn in two and killed with the sword. The Hebrew writer says that they are still commended because of their faith. Because these people, regardless of what took place, still pursued God no matter what happened. Believing and trusting in God 
doesn't always mean that lions aren't going to eat you. But it does mean that if they do eat you or if they don't eat you, you're safe in Jesus. So what's this story all about? Is it about the faithfulness of Daniel? Or is it about the faithfulness of God? Who gets praised in this text? Daniel or God? Well, what does King Darius say in verse 26, he says, for he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall have be to no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Who just gets the praise here, Daniel or God? I'm wondering if you're awake. Who gets the praise, Daniel or God? God does. Thank you, William. Why does he get the praise? Because he's the one that delivered Daniel. And this deliverance of Daniel points to both a future deliverance and a deliverance that's already been purchased in the past. Tim Keller says that miracles in the Bible are never just meant for a display of power. But we're meant to show us the gospel and to show us what God is ultimately going to make the world be like one day. So we're all so used to Daniel in the lion's den as it's just some warm, fuzzy sermon, some warm, fuzzy story. But there's actually something that the story points to. It points, number one, to deliverance in the future. When God stopped the mouths of the lions, it points us to a day that God is going to make all things right. That God is going to deliver his people in the future when the world that has gone wild is going to be stilled, quieted, and made right. Isaiah eleven six 6 says that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf, the lion, and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. In other words, today, lions and goats, you know what a, a goat is to a lion? Lunch. But in this day, one day, it's not going to be lunch. They're going to be friends. Daniel's deliverance by the mouths, from God by the, from the mouths of the lions point us to a day that we are going to be ultimately delivered from this fallen and broken world. But also it points to deliverance already in the past. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, it points us to another Daniel. Psalm 22, verse 1, a psalm. This says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. See, Jesus is the true and better Daniel. Who is even more innocent than Daniel was. More faithful than Daniel was. And he was thrown into a real cave where a real stone covered the entrance. And there he went before the ultimate lion, and yet God did not deliver him, but tore him into shreds. And yet he overcame and came out of that cave, vindicated, triumphant over all of his enemies. And what this tells you is this. What the story of Daniel tells you and I is this. It tells me that whatever situation I am in, if I am saved, if I am a Christian, I am safe. 
because Jesus went to the ultimate lion's den for us, we can deal with any little lions in our lives. So let me end. Do you want to see God move in your life? I don't know what that was. Do you want to see God move in your life? Do you want to see God use your life? Or do you just want to fit in? Do you want to be outstanding? What did I tell you? Well, you already are. <laughs> For Jesus. For Jesus. Do, do you want to be different? As Pastor Octavius said, it's okay to be different. If you really, really want to be different, if you want to be outstanding, it doesn't come by being odd for God. You don't have to be a weirdo. You, 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 don't, you, you don't have to act the part. If you really, really, really want to have a life of faithfulness, it's going to start on your knees in prayer. What makes Daniel Daniel was God, and what made Daniel, what, how God made Daniel Daniel is because Daniel really spent time with God in prayer. You know, you read the text here, and Daniel got on his knees to pray. Uh, this is interesting. In my understanding, and, and I'm not a very smart person, but my understanding is this is one of the few, if not only, times in the Bible that anyone got on their knees to pray. As a matter of fact, Jews in his day and in Jesus' day, they didn't kneel when they prayed. you know what they did when they prayed? They stood when they prayed, and they lifted their hands when they prayed. As a matter of fact, for centuries, the early church, they didn't pray on their knees. Now, normally when we think about praying, we talk about getting on our knees, but in the early church days, they didn't get on their knees. But somehow in history, prayer became synonymous with getting on your knees and doing one other thing. Let me show you this emoji. You've seen this emoji? Somehow, some way in history, prayer got to be where you get on your knees and you put your hands together. Do you want to know how that happened? I'm glad you do. It comes from something that happened in the Middle Ages. This is like eight, nine hundred, a thousand A.D. When a king who had vast lands or a lord had vast lands, he would bring his subjects, his vassals in, and and once a year, all the vassals, all of his, all the subjects of his kingdom would come, and, and their, their Lord would, would sit on his throne and, uh, or on his chair, and he would hold his hands out like this, you, you see here. And, and what they would do is that once a year, they would do what's something called the homage ceremony. And what they would do is, is they would come to the king, and, and they would, the, the king would hold his hands out like this, and, and they would get on their knees, and they would put their hands like this, and they would say, I'm your man. Wh whatever you need, whatever you want, 
Even if it means I have to die, I will do because I'm your man. And they would pledge their loyalty to their Lord. They would pledge their loyalty to their king. And Christians saw this. And they heard, you know, they heard what was being said, that I'm your man, I belong to you. And, 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 and they were getting to think, you know, well, can I give my allegiance to an earthly king and say that when, when I serve a, a higher king? And so what happened is that they would, they would get down and they would do that once a year, but then there became a practice, and that practice is that every day, in the early church, they would bow their heads, get on their knees, and they would pray, Lord Jesus, I'm your man. I'm your woman. I belong to you. And now that's synonymous with prayer. If you want to be outstanding, you have to be on your knees in prayer. What did I tell you? The, the person who kneels before God can stand before anyone. And so here's what I want. I, just, I want you right now just, just to close your eyes with me. Just for a moment. Please nobody move around. Nobody leave. And I want you just to imagine right now Jesus. And I want you to imagine his hands are open. And in this moment, you have a, a decision. Will you put your hands in his hands? Will you say to the Lord of the universe, I'm your man, I'm your woman. Use me however you want to use me. Send me wherever you want to send me. Even if it means I give my life for you, I give it. Because King Jesus, you are my king. Even if it means I'm thrown in a den of lions, you are my king. Even if it means I'm thrown in a fiery furnace, you are are my king. Even though all my friends forsake me, you are my king. I give my life to you. Now open your eyes. The decision is yours this evening. For some of you, your decision is you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. That maybe you've been playing. Maybe you prayed some prayer, or got, even got baptized. But you never really surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe tonight, for the very first time, you would surrender your life to Him. Maybe tonight you have trusted him as your savior, but you've never publicly professed that through baptism. 
You don't have to be baptized to be a Christian, but if you are refusing to be baptized, I'm not sure you are a Christian because if Jesus says this is the first command, that's the first command. For some of you tonight, Jesus may not be, it may not be salvation, it may not be baptism, it may mean some sin in your life that you need to give to God. Maybe you're looking at pornography, maybe you're having sex with your girlfriend or boyfriend, maybe you're smoking weed, maybe you're vaping, maybe you are doing something illegal, maybe there is some secret sin in your heart that tonight you need to get on your knees and come to King Jesus and say, tonight I am your man, I am your woman, whatever you want I'll do. For some of you tonight, it may mean affirming a call that God has placed in your life to serve Him all your life in full-time ministry. Maybe you feel God is calling you to ministry, to missions, to preaching, to sharing the gospel across the world or across the street. And so here's what I want you to do. I want everyone to stand. I want everyone to not worry about anyone around them. And tonight, if you need to make a decision for Jesus, I want you to do one of two things. I want you tonight, I don't care who you are, I don't care if you're an adult or some little kid, but if you feel that tonight you need to surrender to your king, then I want you to come down here to the front or I want you to turn to the pews right there Get on your knees, put your hands up to Jesus, and surrender everything to Him. I'm going to pray real quick. The band's going to play. I don't need anybody to leave. I don't need anybody to do anything else. If you aren't ready to do that, that's fine. But if you are, do it tonight. Father, in Jesus' name. Do what only you can do. Move tonight.